Heavenly Father, as we come to you right now thinking about the words of that song, it really is a song of prayer and dedication to you. And so, Lord, what what we uh, pray is that we would be people that do recognize your holiness. And as we recognize that holiness, Lord, that, that quality about you that is unparalleled and unmatched, that it would drive us to worship, that every, truly every breath that we breathe, every act that we engage in, we would do so to honor you because you're worthy of that worship. Lord, what we uh, ask as we begin this year, my, my focus actually this morning is what I feel like you've led me to is a focus on prayer for us as a church. And it's not just a specific prayer for the moment, but it's, it's an intentional aspect of prayer for us as, as a church where we are. And I pray that you would take this text today, that you would, through your, the power of your spirit, teach us, convict us, uh, call us to a, a different practice than where we've been so that our church and the church around us as a whole and the universal church would all be different as we learn today uh, about what you'd have us to do. So, Father, we surrender and submit ourselves to, to your work, looking forward to what you have to say to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think it's... Uh, Michael and I don't, like the last couple of weeks when he's been leading, we don't sit down and go over all the things that uh, we want to do in the service. We're, we're tr- hoping to get to that point at some point, his elder uh, body. But right now, we've, we've just been pushing and throwing things together a little bit. So, Michael, I love the fact that you took a moment to reflect um, on the year and just encourage us about that, and especially that, that thought about the, the truth that Jesus Christ um, is the one who is the bread of life, that, that whole idea out of Deuteronomy, uh, even though it's not like spelled out right there, it certainly points to that. And I think that um, Old Testament reflection and uh, especially recounting where we've been is part of what the Lord led me to uh, consider for this message this morning just to start off. And um, I don't know how many of you have kind of reflected back over the last couple of years, but I was thinking about these couple things that just kind of come to the highlight of things. First of all, we've been through a season of COVID-19 still addressing some of that, right? It's, it's that we, um, circumstances like that have happened, and we got to respond to those things. Um, there's other things that have happened, like if we're recounting, and these are kind of negative, what I'm focusing on. Michael encourages us to focus on positive, but I'm going to get to the, the, the reason why. Um, so we've also seen a, a election turmoil, right? No fun. Um, I don't care what your political stance is. The fact that there's election turmoil is no good, Right? Um, we've seen other things like uh, riots occur. Uh, that's not good. It's, it's uh, been a tough season to watch those things. There's been high-profile trials uh, that have occurred over the last couple of years. It's been amazing. All the things that have been in the forefront of the news. And that's just what? The tip of the iceberg. When, when we think, if we were to take stock of all the things that have happened uh, over the last couple of years we can really understand that, that this has been a different season. I, I know I've mentioned this before. I, I, when I was at uh, seminary, <clears throat> I spoke to one of my professors who's a couple years younger than me, but um, in one of the seminars, I, we, we made this comment that the last five years have felt faster and seen more change in, in our lifetime. And I'm 52. He's, I think he's 47. So in, in those kind of 40 to 50 years, more has happened in the last five years than I can ever remember happening in my lifetime. And, and there's been major events um, in, in my lifetime. Like, I was born just before the moon landing. Yes. Yeah, I'm old, aren't I? Yeah, it was, I was like two weeks old. So that gives you a little bit of perspective of where my life is. I mean, I remember when... Um, no, I don't remember. That's what I want to say, but that's not right. Ronald Reagan, thank you. Um, I remember when I learned about Abraham Lincoln. I don't remember him. Um, I do remember when Ronald Reagan was shot and, and that coming on the news. There's those kind of events um, in my lifetime. But the last five years have seemed like they've really ramped up and the, the change in transitions. And <clears throat> unfortunately, I think that what, what that 
says to me is that we've got to be people who, looking at all the circumstances and the chaos that can happen in life, our place as believers in Jesus Christ is grounded where? In Christ himself, right? And if we don't respond to the truth of the scriptures and, and, we're, uh, and we don't engage as people of prayer, that's, that's our vital lifeline, right? If we don't do that well, then, then we're going to be tossed to and fro because of the wind and waves of every doctrine that comes on. That's what scripture talks about. Not the, the biblical doctrines, but we get distracted by other things. And then those circumstances of life can certainly feel so overwhelming that, that we get hamstrung a bit. Here's the interesting thing. As I was preparing for the message today and just reading through some things, what I started remembering is we're not the only generation that's experienced trials and struggles. And so what, what I want us to do is we're going to look at actually the life of Daniel. Um, and many of you will remember him historically from your early years of uh, Bible training and Sunday school and, and vacation Bible school and all those things. But if you have your Bibles, I want us to turn to Daniel chapter 9 today. And we're going to look at a, a couple key verses out of this. Um, I was uh, specifically thinking, and, and I'm going to talk a bit as y'all are getting there um, further, because I, I think part of this, the circumstances that we face in, in a sense, relate to what Daniel dealt with. There were a lot of things that happened in his life that, to me, um, emphasize how we ought to respond in our own Christian culture to the Lord and His faithfulness. Um, if, you, if you remember, Daniel 9 is a, a specific passage that deals with some very important prophetic things. And I think that, and I want to make some comments about that later, but I think that oftentimes we learn, we, we focus in on prophecy and we forget some of the context. And I think today it's important for us to go back and look at the context of what Daniel was dealing with, not just the future things, okay, that were, that were prom- prophesied and promised to come about to him and uh, for the nation of Israel. And, sur- and really for the surrounding uh, nations as well, because the prophecies that occur there actually implement the, the world on a global scale. Um, so let me give you a, a little bit of background really quickly about Daniel. If you uh, don't remember these things, that's fine. I'd encourage you to take some notes because it'll help you when you, when you think through the, the book of Daniel and who he was. So Daniel was uh, likely captured from the, the land of Judah, which is the southern part of Israel, in about 605 B.C. Okay, so that was quite a long time ago. He was captured uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar, who was of what nationality? Does anybody remember? Say it really loud. Babylonian, that's right. So there's a a lot of emphasis in Scripture uh, about prophecy and the Babylonian kingdom being restored. So those are are big, important things. Um, And so Daniel was probably in the neighborhood of 15, 16, 17. We know he, he was a teen, probably a little bit in his mid-range teens. That's, that's probably a safe area to put him in. We know he wasn't a real young man, but he and his, several of his friends were teenagers when they were captured, and they proved to be very uh, blessed young men because of the favor of the Lord was upon them. And so as Nebuchadnezzar and his um, leadership watched them, they noted some different things. And you'll remember all those details about um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those, those Babylonian names that were given to them, and how they uh, ate the good food and they were blessed because they did not uh, give in to eating the, the kingdom of Babylon's food, and, and the Lord just honored them. Um, however, they also experienced some great trials, right? We know that um, they, they were um, experienced the, the survival in the fiery furnace, uh, those, he and his friends, Daniel and his friends, because they didn't bow down and worship uh, false gods. Uh, Daniel himself went through the interpretation of dreams for Nebuchadnezzar, and he was elevated to a high level of influence and position because of his ability to interpret the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. But then uh, Nebuchadnezzar dies, and uh, a guy named Darius comes on the scene as the next king, and uh, he... Uh, wants people to worship him as well. And, and so he's actually, Darius is actually kind of tricked into uh, this false sense he, uh, of worship for him. His, his, uh, basically, his leadership wanted to trap Daniel. They were opponents of Daniel. They didn't like what he was doing. And so they convinced Darius to, to write an edict 
that basically said no one can pray to anyone other than Darius, knowing that what would Daniel do? He would be faithful to pray to his God. He had a habit of doing that three times a day facing Jerusalem. I don't think that had the sense of looking to Jerusalem like some would in the Muslim faith or Islamic faith where they look and, and it's a direction they face. It was because his mind was on the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God and what uh, was happening in Jerusalem in, in the sense of the place of the, the worship the temple was. And so that was the place that God was honoring uh, in Daniel's mind. And so he did not bow, and, and he was caught not, uh, uh, he, he didn't bow to Darius, he bowed to the Lord, and he was caught praying to the Lord, and what happened to him? He was thrown into the lion's den, and he survived that, because the Lord closed the mouths of the lions, and then Darius came and checked on him, and what happened? He finds Daniel survived, and, and Darius throws the, the guys who tricked him into this edict into the lion's den, and they immediately consume, the lions immediately consume those men. And so we, we find these, all these things that, that happen. And, and so interesting because I think both Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, uh, when they saw these men of God honoring the Lord, the true and living God, they actually made these pu public proclamations about the goodness and the favor of God. And so even though I don't think they were believers and, and faithful followers, they acknowledged something spectacular about the true and living God. Um, so that's a bit of the context that we come into, having watched Daniel uh, work through these things in his life. And then we get to Daniel 9, and there's some interesting things that, that happen. So I want us to look at three things about uh, Daniel's faithful response to the Lord first. So let's read Daniel 9, and we're going to begin with verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to pick up in some later verses on, with some later ideas, okay? So Daniel 9, verses 1 through 5. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years." Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. And we're going to stop right there. Um, so again, let me, let me remind you this context. In Daniel 6, we see that account of Daniel praying, directing his prayers towards Jerusalem. And we see that habitual prayer time. This is the second time we, we find Daniel praying. And so what's happened is he has recognized that, that the Lord wants to do something unique. And he's coming to this point and he's saying, but this is not just the time of habitual prayer. This is a time of unique prayer. And so what we, what we see is this, and, and I want us to um, first note, because I said three things. The first one is this, back in, in chapter 6, Daniel was a person of routine prayer. I don't want that to escape us, okay? Because I think that for every one of us, we need to pause and give account and, and take stock of where we are in the routine prayer life that we possess, because if we don't have a routine prayer life, we're going to be anemic. We're going to struggle. And I'm not saying that you have to kneel down and face Jerusalem. It's not like that, okay? But what we ought to have is, I think, an intentional prayer life that's infused with the Word of God, that is founded on the Word of God, and we're seeking Him consistently. Now, I think that can happen in a couple ways. One, I think it can be a routine time. Also, I think it can be an organic thing that when things happen in our lives, we just stop and we pray. That's part of the consistent response to, to how we do things in our lives. So, so for me, I'll just give you a quick illustration. I try to, to do certain things when I come in and, into the office and I spend time in prayer. Then it, as I go through the day, if I think about someone, I try to stop and pray. And then I also reach out to them, hey, praying for you, thinking about you and praying for you. So I've had several things come up over the, the course of the last couple of weeks 
um, friends that have had ex- uh, unexpected surgeries that, that have come up at the last minute. I've had a friend whose uh, mom has COPD. She also, um, in, um, what, what, she caught COVID. That's the best way to put it. Um, so he's traveled from Texas to see her in Chattanooga and care for her. So it's like every time I think about him, I'm, I'm praying and texting him to let him know that I'm praying. I do that with all my friends and at some level. I'll call people and, and say those same things. Hey, how do we pray? With my um, accountability partner, Eric, that's one of the guy whose mom's sick. Um, we, every time we get off the phone after we've talked about theological, spiritual things and things that are going on in our lives and accountability, we pray together. Um, when, when you guys stop and say, hey, I have this thing going on in my life, I try consistently to stop and pray with you at that point. Not just saying, oh, I'll pray for it. No, I don't want to just put it off, right? It's that, that we come together and we pray over those things as we are living life together. And, and then pastorally, there's also a, a part of what I do is I pray for us routinely. Michael prayed for us as an elder in our church this morning, pastorally. We, we're trying to engage in those things. When we gather today for our elders and deacons meeting, we will spend time in prayer. So, so there's those kind of consistent points in our lives I don't know what you do, but I want to encourage you, don't let your life go on without habitual prayer. Habitual prayer is so key because I think it keeps us on course. It's like the keel for our life that keeps us from getting tossed to and from. How did Daniel survive as long as he did? Almost some 70 years. Okay, he was not until it wasn't until he was in his 80s that this prophecy is coming true, and so he's waiting to go back to Jerusalem and to watch Jerusalem be restored and the temple to be rebuilt. That's his, his deepest hope. So what is he doing over this length of time? His lifetime is built on habitual prayer. What a great model for us. So the second thing that we find in, in this passage, and I want us to look back at verse 2 real quickly together because I think this is such an important principle that I don't want it to be lost on us. In verse 2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books. What's he talking about when he talks about the books? What do you think? It's the scripture. It's the scripture that he possessed at that point, okay? He says, I perceived in the books the number of years. Now, let's get really specific. Which book was he reading? According to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. So he's reading through Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. And he was in that reading, reflecting and looking and longing for an understanding about what this word of God had in store for him. And what he realized was, oh, ding, ding, ding. Jeremiah is telling us that there's going to be 70 years that Jerusalem, we're going to be in captivity. And and after 70 years, Jerusalem's going to begin a process of being restored. And so what he does is he bases all of his prayer around what? What the Word of God teaches him. So, So not only does he have a life of habitual prayer, he has a life of habitual focus in on the Word of God. I, uh, was thinking about this, and I think it's easy for us when I when I look back and go COVID nineteen and trials, you know these un uh, these these uh, high profile trials, uh, the riots, the election, all of these things that take place. I can get overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. Can you? And I, I start also thinking, okay, what what is my responsibility? What do I do in my wisdom? <laughs> Because God's given us wisdom, right? It's not wrong for me to, to engage in that. But where it's wrong, and it's easy for me to think through this, well, how do these circumstances uh, going to play out? What's the potential impact? I can start running in my own mind these things. What, what are the, the, the worldly troubles that, that I'm going to face? What are the potential desires uh, that I, I want to see changed? How, how do I desire that change to come about? And I can think uh, all of these things can happen apart from the context of God, right? Th- that I look at all of my abilities and all the circumstances from a fleshly, worldly pers- position and perspective. Instead of following the model of what Daniel did, where he goes to the Word of God and sees how God has fleshed this out. And so what he does, and I want you to hear this because I think this is really, really important. 
he understands from the context of Jeremiah how God moves in and through history. Does that make sense? Too many times we think, oh, well, just what's God going to do in the future? No, how's God moved in and through history? That is so key because God is a God who does not ever change. Now, I'm not saying he, he doesn't move, and I'm not saying he doesn't change circumstances, but he himself never changes. And so we need to understand who he is in the midst of difficulty, who he is and how he operates in the midst of circumstances that seem overwhelming and impossible. And so as Dan, and you think through the life of Daniel, isn't that how he responded again and again and again? Why I think he's so habitual in prayer? Because he knows God is faithful. Why he's so consistent to read the Word and to be shaped by the Word? Because he knows that that's how God has revealed himself specifically, and he knows that that is where the answers are found. And so if we will also, like Daniel, base our lives around these kind of qualities and characteristics and habits, how different would we handle all of the complexities of life? I don't think we would experience all of these things that, that feel so daunting and overwhelming and negative with such turmoil, with such maybe struggle and anxiety. Instead, we have a great amount of peace. Even if we struggle with some of those things, like emotionally in our makeup, the Lord has an ability to overcome those things through the study of His Word, through peace and prayer, as, the, as we rely upon the Spirit and we commune with Him. That's where our, our solid foundation is. That's where our hope rests in all of those things. So, um, and I don't want to leave this out, okay? Because when we think about how God has moved in and through history, what is the one promise that is a consistent thread throughout that? It's the promise of redemption and restoration and hope through Christ. See, it's not just about, for Daniel, it's not just about Jerusalem. It's not just about the temple. This is about the movement of Christ and the Redeemer that is to come and the promised hope of Jesus Christ. And that promise is no different for us, right? That, that in Christ, we have a, a firm foundation. So Christ is the one who we need to go to so that our needs are met. Now, the, the third thing, okay, the, 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 fir, the first is the habitual prayer. The second is the focus on the word. And it brings us to this third thing that we find Daniel engaged in. Let's go back to, to verse 9. I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse um, Two, and we'll read that again, and then verse 3. So, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book the, uh, books of the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then, so here's what happens. He reads the word, he applies it, he says, well, the application that's appropriate is this. Then, I turn my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. What did Daniel do in response? He had a special season of prayer, or, or a season of special prayer, if you want to put it that way, where he said, this is beyond just the habitual prayers that I've been engaged in. As I look and see what God wants to do, I need to focus in in a key area. Now, this is what I think is, is really interesting to me. If anybody had the opportunity to like look at this in a particular way and focus in on the future, it would have been Daniel, right? Because as he uh, reads and understands the prophecy unfolding, I think he could have easily said, let me look to the future. Let me, let me so focus on that that I want to do a lot of preparation. And, and I think that's when, like, like in my estimation, I've had, I'll be real transparent for a second. I've had a lot of people, um, and I say a lot, it's not like dozens and dozens, but I've had people over my seasons of ministry, okay, um, or my life of ministry, challenge me about why we don't teach prophecy more. And here's my concern on two counts. One, if we don't understand the foundation of other scriptures, pro focusing on prophecy can be very dangerous because it's so complex and complicated that if we don't have a good foundation, then we apply it, can apply it wrongly, and focus on the wrong things. And I've, over my years, and this is the second thing, over my years of ministry, which is almost 32 now, okay, so it's not just a few. Um, I know that I'm, I'm old, so I get it, don't laugh. 
Um, but over those years of ministry, the thing that I've noticed about folks that focus in a ton on prophecy is they become very unbalanced in how they live their lives. And I'm not saying that carte blanche, okay? I don't think it's everybody, but a majority of people have. They get so future-minded that they, they, and focus on the, what it's gonna, the prophecies tend to say that their preparation in a physical sense, takes over the, the spiritual preparation. And let me give you some specifics. Here's what I find, is that they'll make a lot of decisions uh, about their um, physical, the physical threats that may come. They're, they're going to be preparing for those, to handle those physical threats. and scenarios, they'll focus on gathering supplies to stock their homes. They'll look to things that may leverage, uh, give them leverage to exchange uh, financial means so that they can survive financially. Um, and, and I don't think any of those things are necessarily wrong, okay? I don't. I think we need to be good stewards and wise with the things that God has called us to, to, to do and how we're to live. But here's where I think we get the cart before the horse. And if we're watching Daniel and we're watching him specifically respond to the prophecies and the revelation of the prophecy, understanding exactly what God's doing, what did he do himself? He prayed first. And I think the tendency where we get the cart before the horse is we go, well, let's get all the physical preparations in line first, and then we'll deal with the spiritual things later. Folks, we have got the responsibility, and I think the model before us to say when we see the future and understand what God is saying, and we know these things, our first response ought to be to be people of special prayer. Those things, if we're, if we're praying and doing those things well, the Lord will take care of us anyhow, right? I mean, and, and if I'm being really, I'm going to be really blunt because I get the opportunity, right? I think this is right. Is the Lord know what the future is and what, what, it, what it holds for us? So what, what does this world entail for us ultimately? The real answer is nothing. Because this is the world where moth and rust will destroy. This is not our home. And I'm not saying that we don't live to the fullest here and now, that we don't enjoy the things that God has blessed us with, that we don't take care of the future needs that we have. I'm not saying those kind of things. But if we don't focus on the spiritual first and those other things become our attention, we will miss the best that God has for us because the best for God, for, that God has for us is an eternal home because this is not where we will ultimately reside. The hope for us is a kingdom in heaven where we have things prepared for us. That's where our attention needs to be. So do we, do we have a responsibility here? Yes. But that responsibility needs to take on a spiritual tenor and a spiritual focus first. So this special, this special prayer that uh, Daniel engages in, I, th I think it even emphasizes uh, an importance for us as believers in a focus on the spiritual kingdom that is important and essential. Now, if, if you've been tuned in to, to circumstances as of late, you'll understand this idea of patriotism. I'm going to make a little shift here and then come back because I think this is important. I think patriotism is a great thing, okay? But I think patriotism misplaced is a dangerous thing. And I think patriotism that is misplaced takes our eyes off of who we are as Christians and the kingdom of Christ. So I, I want to read something because I think this, is, this will put this in a little perspective from a historical angle that will help us with this, okay? Spurgeon wrote this in 1878, okay? So I, I want you to think about almost, what, 150 years? Is that about right? Yeah, close enough, okay? So about 150 years ago, he says, patriotism is an instinct which is found, I think, in every true Englishman. And I could say the same of Americans. And he says, and most of the other nations on, of the earth can also boast of their patriots. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Let it never be said that the church of God has no feeling of patriotism for the holy city, for the heavenly land and for her glorious king enthroned above. To us, Christian patriotism means love to the church of God. Let us have loyalty by all means, but chiefly loyalty to Christ. 
Isn't that a great statement? And, and folks, I think if we are to, to be really cautious about our own lives and reflect on ourselves, it's easy to focus in on patriotism as Americans and lose sight of what it means to be a patriot of Christ and his church. But I agree wholeheartedly with Spurgeon, largely because I think he's hit a key point that, that reflects something that Jesus says. And I want you to write this, this passage down and you can go back and look at the, the context of it because I think the context mirrors uh, what we're talking about and looking at from Daniel today about this kingdom of heaven. But in Matthew 6.33, this is what Jesus encourages, is that we would seek first what? His kingdom. And then all of these things shall be added. See, if we're looking to add the things and then we seek his kingdom, it's out of order. We need to be people that seek his kingdom and then have these things added. And I think that's what Daniel models so well through this special season of prayer that he reflects in such a way that he says, not only am I a person of habitual prayer, but I hear the word and I know that what I need is to make sure that I engage in a special prayer where I am in, uh, humble in, in sackcloth and ashes, seeking the face of the Lord. So now let's look at the key elements of prayer, okay? And we're going to look at verses 15 through 19. Even though he goes through some of this in, in the previous verses, I think this is, and most scholars would agree, um, or I agree with most scholars, whichever way you want to look at that, that verses 15 through 19 are the key elements of the prayer. So let's look at chapter 9, verses 15 through 19 says, and now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as, to, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O God, O our God, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So if we're looking at the key elements of this prayer, the first thing that I, I would just want us to, to recognize is this idea of, that, that Daniel prays. It's really this key little phrase here in verse uh, 17. It says, in the second part, he says, O oh Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Folks, I don't know of an, another period of time in, in my own lifetime where I feel like the church itself has lost its traction, where, where we feel like I think we've been compromised in some ways, not, not because we're pursuing false things, but circumstances and things have overwhelmed us. And I think some of it has been God's pruning of the church that we would see a change, so we would see, in a sense, a remnant rise up, a core group rise up and be serious about things. But I know this, there is a call, no matter what, there's a call and a, a need for us to recognize that the Lord needs to shine His face upon the sanctuary. Now, what is this, the sanctuary? I think this is an interesting thing. The sanctuary is not about the, the temple in Jerusalem. That, that represented something for Daniel in his time. But what is the, the, the sanctuary today? Have you ever given that thought? The sanctuary is the church. It's us. It's not the building. Okay? Don't, don't hear me say that. It's not a piece of property. It's not the building itself. The church is the body of Christ. Let, let me remind you this. And I'll and, and I think there's a phrase that, that was Spurgeon, and I want you to hear this because I think it's brilliant. But in Ephesians 2, we, we know that what we are described as 
is that we are living stones. And here's what Spurgeon said about that. He said, the stones are quarried by effectual grace. Now think about that picture for just a minute. Because when stones are quarried out at first, how do they come out? They come out through physical banging, clanging, all those kind of things. But how are they, like you, when you see a, a beautiful edifice of like an old church or old building where it's built of stones, how do those stones fit together? How are they shaped? They're, they're not just misshapen. I mean, I know people will take natural stone and, and fit it together in, a, in a, like a fireplace or something like that, okay? But when you think about old buildings and how those stones were hewn and shaped so that they did what? They fit together well. That's what that picture is that Spurgeon's giving us. That we're quarried by effectual grace. That we are living stones shaped by the grace that comes to us through Christ and the work of the Spirit so that we are rightly established. Now, and and we're, we're the kind of, that he calls living stones and we're put into what? The the body, and we're called a temple that is a growing temple. That's the picture that we have out of Ephesians 2. So, so when we think about da Daniel praying that this sanctuary, that the, the face of God would shine upon the sanctuary, we can apply that to us and say, this is our plea, this is our prayer, that the Lord would shine upon us a church in the midst of a season of so many difficulties where he would shine upon us in such a way that our glory reveals his glory. Does that make sense? That, that we would reflect him in every way so that we honor him. Turn over to 1 Peter 1 real quickly. You may want to mark Daniel. 1 Peter 1, it's after Hebrews, so way over in the, the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. Listen to this about how we are described as, as purchased by Christ, okay? He says, actually, let's just read verse 17 and get a little more context. And if you call on him as father, as a as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself without fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So, so what is my point in reading that? Is that when we think about who we are as those living stones, it's that effectual grace is the purchase that has been made for, by uh, Christ, by his blood for us. What a promise. What hopeful news. And so when we hear those truths, what it ought to, to remind us of and how it ought to in, engage us in a, a motivation and a desire is that we live in such a way that we honor Christ in all ways. And, and how that begins is with a humble response in prayer to the good things that he's done in us. So that's where we see Daniel engaging. So, so all of that sets this tone, what he desires, and I think it reflects what we ought to desire. And so what does he then do? He responds with humility. How, how is that reflected? Well, he confesses the sins of the people, his own sins. And he's saying, we are sinful people. We have been broken. We've been desolate because, you, because of our sin, and we need you to respond. I love this. Spurgeon said this again. He says, the church of God needs her God. That may not seem very profound. But folks, when it comes down to it, do we really practice that thought that when we come together, that when we establish our work together, that we go, we need God. We need God. We need each other, but foremost, we need God. And if our sin separates us from Him, we've got to confess our sin. 
because it will prevent us from relating to him properly and being truly dependent on him. Daniel acknowledges when the favor of God rests on his people, there's also very specific outcomes. Did you see what he said uh, in verse 17? He says, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. So if the Lord shines his face on the, the sanctuary, what happens to the desolate sanctuary? There's no more desolation. I think when we look at where we've been, particularly as a church over the last couple of years, we've had some struggles. We've, I think, had some moments where we feel like, man, there's a desolation. And, and folks, I think one of the things that the Lord has led me to ask for is that we would be people that pray for our church and seek the face of the Lord over a season. Now, I'm not asking you to fast. I'm not asking you to put on sackcloth and ashes. I don't think those are necessary things necessarily to engage in the Lord in, in special time of prayer. But we need to be especially engaged. Let me talk about what, where we are. Today, we're going to meet with elders and deacons. The first time we've met with three deacons, new deacons that we ordained last week. Uh, and we're going to be casting, uh, well, answering some questions and looking at uh, leaning into on a vision retreat on January 22nd. That vision retreat is going to be a new kind of vision retreat. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, in the past when we've done vision retreats, it's been simply the, the uh, elders and deacons and or staff that have been part of that. This, is going, this vision retreat is going to entail people that are outside of those leadership levels. It's going to contain, it's going to, um, contain or uh, consist of those who are in ministry leadership. So, for instance, Gina is going to be there for women's ministry. Jesse will be there for hospitality and, and other things. Um, there's going to be uh, others around who will be as a part of those, the, that meeting and that vision casting. It's going to be essential for the life of our church. Why is it essential? Well, we certainly want to, to see how the Lord wants to shape us for 2022. But you may be generally aware of this, but I want to remind you, 2023 is our 25th year anniversary as a church. That makes you feel old, doesn't it, Braden? Because you weren't, you remember when the church started. Yeah. So we need to also get with you for some history things. Mallory, remember that. Braden will know history stuff. Um, so no pressure. Um, start jotting notes down. Um, but, but what happens at our 25th anniversary? We want to celebrate the things that God has done. We, we want to set our, our, our focus on where he wants us to go and, and this may feel, feel crazy or sound crazy, but where are we going to be in the next 25 years, right? What, what is the, I mean, I, I don't think I'll be pastoring 25 years from now here, uh, but what do we leave behind as a legacy? How, how do we engage leadership? There's things that we want to be stepping into rightly. And if we don't pray and we don't seek the Lord's face and seek his blessing at this point, why would we put it off? Does that make sense? Because if we put it off, what's going to be the outcome? We're, we're just going to be in happenstance. And, and we don't need to be about that. So what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to enter in a special time of prayer between now and January 22nd. So that as we lean into this, that the Lord gives us wisdom, that we would be people who seek Him rightly, not just habitually, but in a special season where we need to understand what the future holds for us, just like Daniel. Now, let me give you one more piece, because I, I think this is also essential. When, when, Spurge, uh, when Daniel was praying, and this relates to both the books of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. There's some scholarly debate upon, did Daniel rely on Nehemiah and Ezra, or did Ezra and, and Nehemiah rely on Daniel's history and all these things? But all this stuff was happening at the same time. So if you remember, uh, Nehemiah gets a, a letter that blesses him to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls. So as the walls were being rebuilt, the, the um, Sanballat and uh, Tobias, I think is his name, um, I didn't go back and review this just off the top of my head, but they were coming against, they were enemies of Israel and Jerusalem. They were trying to keep the walls from being built. And so what Nehemiah asked the people to do, does anybody remember? He said, build the wall with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. 
Now, obviously, they, they, this, the idea was you can't do that well with uh, one in each, but the idea is that they would have the sword ready to defend the city, and they would have the trowel ready when they weren't defending the city to rebuild the wall. That happened at each one of their homes. Their homes were actually on the outside of the wall. So you would think about, okay, the Waldens, their, their home is right here. They're building right at their home and reestablishing the wall. And then the Ryans would be next door to them, and they would be rebuilding the wall and right there. That's, that was a cool thing, right? Y'all like to be right next door. Y'all are pretty close anyhow. And then the Ericsons would have their station on the wall, and they would take their sword and trowel, and they'd be building the wall. And the, the whole of Jerusalem was protected, yet it was being restored. Now, why do I bring that up? Because I think Daniel models this in his prayer, and I think we see it physically acted out through Nehemiah and his wisdom and leadership, that every person had a responsibility in membership in, in ministry together. Spurgeon remarked this. He says, We shall soon see our church members multiplied and all things in proper order if the Lord will but shine upon us. Then shall you see each one of the Lord's servants in his right place ministering before the Lord. When I read that, that idea of the, the blessing of the Lord coming upon us as we each one in our right place are ministering, I thought, man, that is so essential. Because every person, every member has a responsibility to be engaged and involved in ministry. And for some of us, we may not know our place yet. Special prayer. Special prayer listening to the Word of God, thinking through how you are being called in your membership here at the Grove Church to be part of the ministry is essential. So lastly um, is this, and I think this is essential. And look at verses 18 and 19. Oh God, oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. So, so two times we've heard something about the Lord. Your, your name, your great mercy. Now let's keep going in 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are, are called by your name. All of this, let me, let me make it very, very blunt and clear. It's not about us. It's not about the Grove Church. It's about the glory of our God. But we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to engage rightly so that God is glorified. So, Stephanie and Nate, as we were singing, y'all can make your way up right now. As we were singing that last song, what was it? To your name be the glory, right? I think that's the one we were singing. But, but we've sung about these themes all morning long, okay? And, and we want the name of Christ to be glorified. We want our lives to be a reflection of His glory. We, we want His name to be at the forefront. It's not about me. It's not about the name of this church. It's not about you. It's about Christ our Savior. Folks, this is the challenge then. And I'm going to end right here, okay? Will you... Do, do three things. I'm actually going to make it four, okay? Will you make sure that you're in routine prayer? Will you make sure that you're in the Word so that your routine prayer, habitual prayer, is grounded and sound in the Word? Will you engage in a special season of prayer? And will you pray especially that you will engage rightly in ministry? That's very practical, okay? I, I'm not... It's not four points in this, but it is a very practical way for us to respond to the Word of God. So what we're going to do before Nate and Stephanie sing, we're going to spend a minute in time of response. And I'm going to just ask you to, be, to reflect on those four things this morning with the Lord. And He, through His Spirit, will guide you and convict you and convince you of where you need to respond in one of those four areas. So let's bow together. I'm going to be quiet and let you respond to the Lord first.
Father, as we come before you this morning, hopefully I trust that every one of us here under the sound of my voice is certainly under the authority and power of your spirit. Lord, your word tells us that it doesn't go out void. Lord, there's so many more things that we could have unpacked this morning out of this text. But Lord, I think that these key elements are are where we are and where we need to, to focus. And I pray that your spirit would convince and convict and encourage and strengthen every one of us for what you have called us to, to do and called us to be as, as, a, as your church. Lord, uh, I thank you. And that, that phrase has just continued to stick out to me that we are quarried by the effectual grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't have to be in the same place in our walks with you. We don't have to be in the, the same time frame. Lord, the, the truth is your spirit is always at work on us and in us and through us. And the hope is this, that as we consider your kingdom work, there'd be a, an effectual engagement on our part as we seek it first. So Lord, I pray that there would be a rich blessing bestowed upon us as you shine your face upon us and you would take what sometimes feels so broken and desolate and you would redeem and you would restore. So Lord, if there's been sin that's been unconfessed, Lord, search us. Try us and see if there's any wicked way in us. Lord, we we can uh, confirm and agree that if you and when you show us where that is, that is in our lives, that we will repent, that we will turn from that sin and we will turn to you and go hard after you. So Lord, as we engage over these next couple of weeks, some 20 days from now, we'll be gathering in this building to, to review and to reflect and to carefully consider all the things that you have in store for us. Lord, I pray that you would humble us, that you give us great uh, care for one another, a sense of what you long for to happen in us and through us, both in our church life, in our community, and uh, across this world. Because, Lord, we know that you have called us to be a biblically sound, healthy church. And so, Lord, we we look forward to, to doing this together as a body, together with you. And now, Lord, as we stand together and we reflect and, and close out our service with uh, just another song of worship, we pray that you would be honored and glorified through our voices lifted, our minds focused in and dedicated to you, our Lord and Savior. Amen.